back, everybody, to another episode of the Overdue Rentals podcast, the podcast where we talk about movies that people are just not talking about anymore. They could have been little films that people just never heard about. They could be big award-winning films that people just don't want to mention anymore. I'm Matthew Shuckman. And I'm Cinema Blend Mike Reyes. And tonight's film, uh, tonight's film was a big deal. When you look into the history of this movie, both in terms of good and bad, Disney's adaptation of Dick Tracy is a big fucking deal. You know, Disney, and- I mean, we'll, we'll call it Warren Beatty's uh, adaptation a lot. I, mean, I know Disney made it, but like, you know, he was, even though he didn't write it, he directed it and started it, it, it was a lot coming for him. But we should say that this was bought to us by our good friend, Andrew Corbett, who's with us. Andrew, who writes for At The Movies Online, Coastal House Media, and Film Focus Online. Andrew, thank you for suggesting this. Well, it's on our list, but thank you for choosing it because yes, as Michael was saying, big film. Andrew, just thank you for being here. Yes. Well, thank you guys for having me. I'm so happy to be with my two screening buddies. I got my New York buddy with Matt and my Philly buddy with Mike, or occasional Philly buddy. You know, one of these days we're all going to have to RSVP to the same screening in one of those cities and just do the thing because- I mean, Andrew, it has been really cool to see you at, I think we, we saw each other at the Batman and the yes. North Man. So we yes. saw each other at two really big man movies. Something being man we have to be at all times. Yeah. And then, you know, you know what? It's a shame that we didn't all get an invite to men and we could have went together. <laughs> the trifecta, well, complete the trilogy. Yeah. We'll figure something out. But Michael, I'm sorry. I did cut you off though because I didn't want to make sure we introduced Andrew then this was his choice. But you were talking very specifically about your thoughts on the adaptation. Oh, I was just saying that, the, I was just saying that this is, uh, again, this was a big deal for Disney. Yeah. A big yeah. deal for Warren Beatty. I mean, Warren Beatty, I, I mean, I won't go into it too much because this is probably some stuff we want to see for the back. Well, no, actually, I guess we'll do the, the back end right now. We'll so do the all end, yeah. This movie was basically in in like development since 1975 and Warren Beatty was I, I, I can't remember if Warren Beatty was a part of it through the whole period I don't know but this movie was like there was a lot of ba- a lot of studio politics that went into trying to get this movie made and it I mean not all of it was rights issues it was just studios not being interested or being okay, like just a, a quick and dirty sort of rundown order of, of some of the players that were involved here. United Artists is the first studio that this movie's on the board with. Jumps to Paramount, then jumps to Universal. One of the reasons that it landed at Disney finally was because who came over from Paramount to Disney? Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg. So that, that basically helped get the movie landed. Jeffrey Katzenberg almost asked Martin Scorsese to direct this movie. And he was like, you know what? Uh, I don't know. And then eventually goes to Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty says yes. And then, you know, signs on to be not only the leading man, but also the director. But other directors you might have seen, Steven Spielberg, John Landis, who had to leave for some pretty obvious reasons, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richard Benjamin was another one. But ultimately, this gets made at Disney. And looking through the opening credits to this i couldn't believe that this is written by the guys that made top gun and that's not in a bad way it's just a holy shit that's a connection well look there's a lot there's a lot that i want to dive into on things all things you just said to be honest with you um but i think oh please before before i get into that and before 
very quickly before I want to talk to Andrew about why this was was his choice to go for and when he first saw okay. it, we should mention for people who have never seen it and for people who maybe only know certain actors. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to try and list everybody, but let's just go through. And then I'm going. We're going to be here all night. To not and to not mess it up, I'm going through IMDb, and it's in a little strange order here. But you know, of course, directed by and starring Warren Beatty as Dick Tracy, Charlie Cosmo, who you know, Hook, this, and uh, and Hook. what about Bob? You know, like he for a very short while was the kid in every movie. Um, and and I'm going to go again. This is an order: William part. William Forsyth, uh, Glenn Headley, Seymour Casal, Charles Durning, Alan Garfield, and some of these people are in the movie for literally like two seconds. Manny Pankin, Paul Sorvino, um, uh, Henry Silva, Al Pacino, he's come so, so far on the list, Dustin Hoffman, Kathy Bates is in the film for about five seconds, Dick Van Dyke, Cole Meany, Catherine O'Hara, who's basically, I mean, she must have had a scene cut because she's in there for about a second at a table. She doesn't even say anything. Well, it's James, funny you mentioned that they almost released a director's cut on Blu-ray, on DVD with like, I think several scenes added back in, but we'll go back to that later. James Conn, it'll go on forever. But before we get dive, in, dive into everything else about the movie, Andrew, please tell us about your history with Dick Tracy. Okay, so it's, it's actually funny that 2020 was the year of Pacino for me. That was the COVID year and the year that I really got into his filmography. As Matt knows, I'm obsessed and probably unhealthily. Um, so Dick Tracy came along. You named him. He was, what was that, like 20th on the list of IMDb? Oh, and there, and there, were, there were a lot of names that were very inconsequential names. before him, too, on that list. Because well, they went in order of appearance. Like, this was one of those credits where literally the thing is, like, in order of appearance. It was like this, 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 this. And it's like, yeah. we know we've got Al Pacino in this movie. We know we've got Madonna in this movie. I, I didn't even mention Madonna's name. Oh, yeah, you know. <laughs> I didn't even mention it on that list. <laughs> no, you didn't. And that's just, you know, the that's that's the beauty of this cast. But back to Andrew, because in 2020, apparently, everywhere he looked, it's Pacino, <laughs> Pacino, Pacino. That's a great Pacino. Much better than my peak. I can't do a Pacino impression anymore. But I will say the reason I came around to Dick Tracy was because I think on IMDb, that's like in his, you know, the four, the, you know, known four. I think that that's in there. I mean, mm -hmm. he did get an Oscar nomination, right? If I'm not mistaken. I don't even remember yes, now. Yes, he did. I yeah. Think he, yeah, yeah. So, which is which is quite amazing. But yeah, he always pulls me back in with any performance uh, except for Jack and Jill. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, it's not good enough for you, Andrew. <laughs> well, I got a hoo-ha for you, Andrew. Don't, don't, Andrew, I'm sorry. You can't pull that card because about a few days ago, you posted a clip from that on, on Instagram. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> that's fair. That's 30 seconds of that movie. But all right, I digress. <laughs> um. But yeah, so I don't know. So I did want to ask you guys, I, I don't want to, I always, I'm, I'm not asking this and, you know, I don't want to age you guys, but can I ask how old you guys were when this movie came out? Uh, I was 10 years old. Okay. Uh, I saw it. I, I think pretty sure I saw it in the theater when it came out. Um, I may have been 11 years old I don't, or maybe nine years old. It's, it's very tough sometimes when you see the year, because since I was born in 1980, every time I just see a year, I equate it to just dead on, that's the year. So if 1990, I'm 10, 1991, I'm 11, except my birthday is very late in the year. So it's, it's tough to tell. So I'll say 10 years old. Mike? I was roughly seven years old when the film came out. I don't think I saw it when it was out, but I did see the trailer a lot because I, being a Disney kid, I was very into, I think it was the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids VHS that had the trailer. <laughs> it had that trailer. So I watched so much Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. 
I knew that trailer and the Tracy, Tracy, Tracy line, the aren't you going to frisk me line, like all these little moments that are always embedded in my head. And that logo, that beautiful logo, like that was just part of the huge blitz that they went into the in on for this movie. And while I may not have seen it as a kid, it was something that was always in the back of my mind that when I finally saw it, it totally lived up to everything. Well, that, I think that's the thing about this movie, whether you liked it or didn't, whether it was, and this is when it came out or when if you saw it after, whatever it is. And because you're thinking about this also came right off the tails of the Tim Burton Batman and with Danny Elfman also doing the score for this, which is very similar. This um, is exactly what they were trying to emulate. Exactly. And then, so, but there's something so lush and gorgeous and brilliant and cinematic, even though it's a bunch of, of very much of matte painting and set pieces, because that's the way it's, Dick Tracy, for people who didn't know, you know, they, they hear comic, but it's comic strip, really. So the way the way he pulled this off is really impressive and really fucking gorgeous. And even if you thought Batman's a better film, let's say, th- I think this is a more impressive ultimate piece of work. I think than- it what you're looking for. That's, I see that I'm saying it doesn't even matter what you're looking for. You can like Batman more. You could hate Dick Tracy. You could be vice versa. Just looking at it as a piece of artwork and the way it's put together, this, oh, I would say, is more impressive than Batman. Oh, absolutely. And just, you mentioned the map paintings, just that opening. If there is any movie that knows itself in its first five minutes, Dick Tracy is one of those movies because not only do you have that gorgeous Elfman score just hitting all the right notes and just doing all of, doing everything for you, You've got that wonderful sort of panning through the scenery of map paintings and all this other stuff. And it's kind it's what Batman approached halfway because it wanted to have that gothic sensibility, but it also had the sort of comic booky sort of elements to it. This is just full on pulp comic book. And right from the yeah. beginning, it embraces that heightened reality where everything is very colorful and it doesn't have to look like photorealistic or yeah. brutalistic. Like it is just a gorgeous movie to look at, like from the costume designing to just the lighting. I, I also think that it very much, well, I don't think a lot of people think about it specifically, but people talk about it after they see movies uh, about whether it was, you know, made for kids, made for adults. This really hits the all the lines where it's very mature, but in the same breath, very kid friendly in so many ways. I don't know how they made these really twisted villains be able to be on the screen for kids like that and, and get away with it. Because while this was initially considered to be a Disney release, they made the uber smart decision of putting it under, under one of their more one of their newly founded shells. Because yeah. back in the mid eighties, they created Touchstone so they could release films like Splash or Ruthless People. And then Hollywood would come after that. And I think they went a little harder, but it, it's kind of it's kind of muddy trying to determine who who got the harder stuff because PG thirteen and R was both Touchstone and Hollywood's game. But thanks to Disney segmenting themselves like that. Madonna's dialogue alone made made sure this was never going to be a Disney yeah. movie, especially because I mean I didn't I did not remember this from when I first saw it, but the mini the one scene he opens the door and she's like fresh peaches you better eat them they're running a little bit it's like that's not a fucking Disney movie. <laughs> Michael Eisner must have watched that and is like 
to, to fucking touchstone with you. Well, this is not for Mickey's eyes. Well, and you mentioned it was a Disney release, and I almost didn't believe you because I saw what, what's what was the company that actually was. It was Buena Vista, right? Was it Buena Vista? Buena Vista Pictures is kind of the overall shell, I think. Okay. And then you've got like Disney, you've got, oh, no, I think Buena Vista may have been the overall shell for like Touchstone and Hollywood and other things because before they even had those, I think they even used the name Buena Vista Pictures to release things like. I want to say Midnight Madness. I think that was one of theirs. But like the stuff that was like not specifically Disney, because again, this sits in a really interesting place in history because it's right at the beginning of the Disney Renaissance. But it's also coming out of that period where Disney was still trying to figure out what it wanted to do as a studio. And you got movies like The Black Hole and Tron. I'm relieved to hear you, you know, talk about the rating a little bit because I was just curious when I was watching it. I thought I was being approved. I'm like, huh, I don't know if this would be, <laughs> I'd classify this as PG. I kept checking it. I'm like, this seems a little, so do you guys think if this was made in 2022, I know it's it's hard because it's, you know, would that have been PG-13? I... Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes, All right, so I'm not. Yeah, there are barely PG movies anymore because I right. think rating kind of has the teeth taken out of it. I think PG-13, it, it, it's really weird because the PG and PG-13 have kind of switched places where before PG-13 even existed, you could get away with a lot in a PG movie. Like Airplane was rated PG yeah. and you had topless nudity and you know you could say fuck probably a couple of times, definitely say shit. But then PG-13's kind of overtaken PG, but at the same time has become softened because of it. Mm. But that would this would definitely be a PG-13 because sexual innuendo and vi and sustained violence and I don't know Warren Beatty's yellow overcoat. I sh I I I, sh I don't want to keep going back to this, but I just thought about it. I think reading off that list of names, I didn't mention Dustin Hoffman either. No, it's it's stacked. Oh. James Tolkien is in here, and that's probably another Top Gun connection. But it's along with how brilliant it looks, even 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 if look. There's a lot of films we see today and they look great, but they feel fake because it's a lot of green screen kind of stuff. And it doesn't mean it's not gonna look bad and it can't be done well because there's plenty of stuff that is done well. But when you see the kind of break in reality here, it works for it. It's meant, cause that's what it's meant to be. And it's not, it's still something that's real and tangible, but thinking about the makeup for this movie, man. Oh my, I mean, first of all, William Forsythe is flat top. His face, they, they must have hired him. Cause again, he's still young at this point in terms of his career. Uh, he wasn't as big of a name as he would have been later on for a lot of people, even though he's not that huge of a name, but they must've, his face perfectly fit that flat top. That's why he had to have been hired for this. <laughs> and that was one of the Oscars this movie actually won. It won best makeup, best original song. That, that's another thing we didn't mention. This movie has five Stephen Sondheim songs. I didn't even realize- They got that Stephen that. Sondheim to write songs for them that Mandy Patinkin sings, that Madonna sings, that Mel Torme sings. He sings one of the background songs where, I think it's the, the montage sequence where the kid's like, when do we eat? When do we eat? <laughs> we got a Mel Torme song playing through that. It's like, Ugh. What year, so I actually, I just thought of this connection or I, well, not just now, I, I'm not that smart. Um, but, cause you oh, mentioned stop. that- this no, but on this show you're pretty damn smart <laughs> uh but what year did misery come out because james Kahn and kathy bates are both in this film 90 or 91 let's take a, was it i was hoping it'd be the same year <laughs> pretty sure it's 91 but kathy bates is literally 90 
She's the ninety, oh, really. She's the stenographer the at the at, at the beginning of the movie for like two seconds, yes, and then you don't see seconds. her ever again. James Caan's in the movie for, for two minutes, and then you don't see him oh, again. Yeah, because you've got and, and again Pacino and James Caan reunited. Yes, she's on the end of the the exploding car this time. <laughs> it's just think just thinking even like just think poetry, about that table, means... all those people sitting there. Look again, I you know I know Henry Silva's not a name that's going to spark a lot of recognition from too many people, but it's Henry fucking Silva. Yeah. I mean, even even on our end, it's like, there's two things I remember Henry Silva from most. The original Ocean's Eleven and Bullshit or Not from Amazon Women on the Moon. What about No Manchurian Candidate? Oh, yes. Okay, three, three. (laughs) Yes. Oh, man. Cannot forget Manchurian Candidate because uh, that is a movie. Spoilers for the future. I want to cover both of those movies because that is a movie where I felt like it's scaled to, it, it's a, another Ocean's Eleven. It's scaled to the modern world brilliantly. I didn't like the remake. I love that original. Oh, okay. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't like the remake. <laughs> Just shit on your parade. <laughs> you sick that day, Andrew. <laughs> I'm sorry. Matthew, Andrew will be there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so wait, so Andrew, so you, so you watched it because you wanted to get all your Pacino stuff in. Yeah, yeah. What, expectations or views did you have of the film or knowledge you have of the film before you sat down and watched it? Well, I think it was something similar to, to, to Mike. I, I don't think I had Honey, I Shrunk the Kids on VHS, but I did have some Disney movie. I don't know, something in that era where I swear I've seen the trailer. So I knew like parts of it, but I really had no knowledge of it. I thought it was a Tim Burton movie when I first started watching mm. it for all the reasons you mentioned. So that's really what it, I didn't really have ex- expectations, That's thus it exceeded them. Um, I wanted to mention that something, cause I don't want to get, you know, I don't want to bring us all the way back to the sets, but something you I wanted to mention. Absolutely. You're the guest, you're allowed to sign <laughs> us. All I'll right, well. here for two hours and do a two hour episode if you want. All right, well, we'll do that for heat. I could talk about heat on end for two hours. Um, but the, I wanted to mention that what drew me in immediately was that there was that fist fight early on when I forget who Warren Beatty or uh, Dick Tracy is confronting, but he's like, you know, that he's punching down. Then it shows like the wide shot of like the shack. And you just see it, you know, shifting back and forth, you know, amidst like the huge backdrop. I just thought that's, a, that's what pulled me in. Cause I was like, it's such an escape, this movie. I think you had mentioned that, Matt, but it's just a beautiful like escapism. I don't know. It's, it's peaks, you know, for me. Pure comic energy. Yes. It's like you are reading panels that are moving. It's like the... It, one of the things that I love to credit Speed Racer for is it felt like a living, breathing anime. This feels like a living, breathing four panel comic strip where that whole thing with the shack moving, it's like you would see you would see everything from cutting back and forth between Dick beating the guy's lights out to the shack moving. And you would see them in like shack beating, shack beating. But this is the full motion version. And it just- And it ends like, on that huge wide shot. Yeah. when When- when movies understand the aesthetic of the sort of medium they're trying to convey, it is the among the best types of adaptation anyone can ever hope for. And it's just, you know, anyone can make a comic movie. I get that. But very few times can I think of in, in the MCU where it's like, that's the splash panel page. Like the two, pa- two page splash panel where it's just everybody lined up or something. And it doesn't always work like that. And it's, I'm sad. And that's, and that's, I think that's the thing because not everything calls for it. And some stuff of it's not, look, whether or not you liked the, uh, the um, Ang Lee Hulk, you know, he tried to do the very whole panel thing. And even if you th- appreciated what he did there, I still think you look at Dick Tracy 
And it's the only one that I think you can say 100% did it right the whole way through. I don't care what anybody says, whether you like something or not, this is the one that got it right. And I think not to say that, look, I don't know Warren Beatty. I never, I never spoke to him. Uh, you know, welcome on the show. Come to overdue rentals, Mr. Beatty. <laughs> we'll talk town and country. Uh, well, Bullworth, Bullworth, Bullworth. That we will. That but, we will. I was only kidding about town and country. No, I am. Even no, though, though there was my parole. Even though they're the Christopher Reeve Superman movies. Even though there was the Adam West Batman. Even though there was the Tim Burton Batman. Technically, I guess because it's hard to tell how much was this in production specifically when they were making Batman um because only a year difference but i would never take him and he could have loved the jick tracy comic strips as a kid but i still never took him as the person that could fully understand it to this level and whether he did or didn't he did his homework for, for god's sake and it came out right exactly because you don't think of warren Beatty as a spectacle director like he's done very personal very like personal scoped films and yeah. I don't even think he's he's revisited this sort of film after Dick Tracy, even though he he really, as far as as late as 2016, he was ready to still make a sequel. And there were some problems that did a lot of problems basically made sure that didn't happen. But we can get into that a little later. We, we I, I'm just really glad that we're sort of reveling in the love of this. And Andrew is ready to say something. Yes. Well, no, no. And the, the splash page, you mentioned that. I think that's a beautiful point. I just wanted to ask for both of you guys, are there any in the MCU or I guess DC movies that you can think of? Because the only one I, that comes to mind, because you mentioned that you were like, I, don't, I can think of many, is the in Civil War at the end, you know, when Iron Man and Captain America have the, you know, with the shield that because I know that's replicating splash page. That's the only one I can. I'm sure there are other ones, but can you, either of you guys think of one? Not, I'm not necessarily in the MCU, I guess. There may be stuff that was done beforehand yeah. or things that, pe things that people don't know are comic book movies. Like, I, I guarantee you there is, even though they did it a little with animated kind of credit sequence, I think somewhere in The Losers, there's got to be a shot that's very panel-esque in there. Um, stuff like that. But I'm not really sure without thinking about it or rewatching certain things. Exactly. And that's why I think that, a Andrew, you asked a really good question that sort of hammers at the home of, comic book movies now versus comic book movies that were coming from this era where I've heard it talked about in other podcasts before that this was the age where like Superman and Batman were the big guns, but Marvel wasn't totally in operation at the time. Like they'd made a couple like cheapo Captain America movies. Like this was Marvel in their phase where they were not flush and like sold their rights <laughs> left and right. What year, what year was the Roger Corman Fantastic Four? I think it was 94, but it never was released. Yeah, I know. But still, I'm just thinking about it. Okay. But this was one of those points in time that people like to point out where a lot of off-brand superheroes were being made in movies because Dick Tracy happened. Uh, the Shadow would happen. The Phantom would happen. I love The Phantom. But then this movie is square in between two of my favorite movies as a child. Uh, Roger Rabbit was not a comic, but that was another Disney film. But The Rock of Fucking Tear was a year later. And I swear this movie probably helped them greenlight that because on paper, what? on paper, this was a $46 million budget and it made $162.7 million worldwide. However, there was an infamous memo that Jeffrey Katzenberg put out that the New York Times reported on, according to Wikipedia. I didn't get to read the whole article because it's like paywalled. But it was basically Jeffrey Katzenberg saying, um... We spent a hundred million on this between production and promotion 
and everything else. And I don't think the response, the reaction made it worth it for us. Wait, which, which was, film is this, is this referring to? I'm sorry. Dick Tracy. Because Dick Tracy there, was made for 46 and made 160. That's what I'm saying. It was made for 46 okay. on paper and made 162.7 million, which that was apparently over budget from, I think they wanted to, they wanted it to be 20. And there was a special clause where it's like, look, Warren, if this goes over budget, it's coming out of your end. But even on that, like Katzenberg said, this cost $100 million to make and market. And I'm assuming a lot of that overage came from the marketing because this was, again, McDonald's toys. They had those commemorative Dick Tracy t-shirts. Like there was apparently going to be a plan where if you bought the t-shirt, that was your ticket in. Like you didn't have to buy an actual ticket. You bought the Dick Tracy t-shirt that said like, this is my ticket and you got in. Hmm. And like there were toys, like there was all this promotional money spent. And it was like, I think it was over 20 TV spots that they had done, which I'm sure back in 1990 was like unheard of. Like bear in mind, the ne- this, this was a competitive summer. This movie did really well in a competitive summer because I'm just going to read off a small list of films that were released when Dick Tracy was in theaters. Um, if anybody one by... What happened? Jurassic Park's one of them, isn't it? No, that's 93. Oh, okay, I'm off. You take me for a fool, Matthew. Anyway, I apologize <laughs> to you. I don't like this part, but I like this part. No, not yet. That was not, I don't think that was out yet. I think that was later <laughs> in the year, but oh, we need that Darkman episode. Anyway, that's another, oh, small sidetrack. That's another one where it's like, off-brand superhero because we don't have money for a superhero. Oh, well, we have a, we have a whole slew of things because without that, Rain, Raimi doesn't get to make Spider-Man. No, this no, he doesn't. Off. But that's, that's a whole other conversation we'll get into on the Darkman episode. Okay. Um, but the films that wore out during Dick Tracy's run, Total Recall, Gremlins mm. 2, The New Batch, mm. Back to the Future 3, mm-hmm. Pretty Woman, mm. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I'm going to switch to the movie phone voice now. The Hunt for Red October. Robocop 2, and the film that actually bested Dick Tracy in its third week for number one, Days of Thunder. Days but of yeah, like, And then the next summer was even more brutal because when The Rocketeer was released, there was so much more competition with shit like Lethal Weapon 3. I don't remember if it was two. I think it was two. Lethal Weapon 2. Uh, that was the same summer that UHF got creamed, if I'm not mistaken. But this is somehow <laughs> prevailed in this summer. Look, it's interesting though too, and I, I want to go back a little bit to what you were saying earlier because again, things being production, I know like you said, Dick Tracy technically was trying to be made for a very long time before it officially got made. But after watching it again, I almost have that feeling that the Who, the Who Frame Roger Rabbit success is what allowed them to finish saying, yes, let's, let's get this really made and get this out there now. Because even though they're on different levels of not just storytelling, but literal um actual physical prowess yeah. we'll call it they, there's there's a very big kind of connection between the two as far as what type of production they are between who frame roger rabbit and the trailers and the promotions for dick tracy i swear that is what planted the seed in my head to become a detective noir fan and a pulp noir fan because just looking at roger you're just going back to look at roger rabbit it's basically chinatown but with cartoons like I, you could go, you, it's just like Rango is Chinatown with animals. Mm. Like there is this wonderful thing where it's not completely, but there was a, <laughs> okay. One specific twist did not pop up in either of those. So we'll put that there, but 
just you, the swagger and the bravado that Warren Beatty had in his life. He brings it into a film that a Disney-related company produced, and it is one of the greatest underrated gifts that we've ever fucking gotten, bar none. Well, let's talk about that as being forgotten, because again, I know, Andrew, we already asked you about, you know, how you came across finally watching it, and you kind of mentioned already having this idea that it existed, but, you know, like, again, in this world where Mike and I grew up knowing it, seeing it, loving it kind of thing, did this, did you even know this existed before a certain year? Was it something like after you heard about it, like you have to even look up what Dick Tracy is kind of thing? Probably, yeah, probably. I'm honestly, I don't even know when the first time I heard about it was. I think I just, like I told you, I'd seen trailers and clips of it, and then I just, I was like going through Pacino's filmography and then came across it. I really don't know if I, because I, my dad, you know, will tell stories about how he skipped it because it looked ridiculous to him in the 90s. <laughs> but, you know, so I didn't really, I didn't have any like, you know, knowledge. And I will also say, I'm not here to bag on my dad, but you mentioned Rango. He did not let me see that movie when I was, because when did that come out? 2009, 2010? Uh, I don't even remember. No, how did the after? Because I remember I covered that and I didn't, I wasn't, I just started off in 09, 10. I think it was 2011 because it was around the same time as First Class because at that era of filmmaking, there was this beautiful thing. I used to belong to a cable company called Cablevision. I used to have their cable. <laughs> and they used to have, the, it was, oh, Optimum. Sorry, it became Optimum. Well, no, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's all the same. Yeah, yeah. during the Optimum Long days, Island. They used to own Bowtie Cinemas. So you got to go to the movies free on Tuesday nights, like four free tickets for being an Optimum member. I didn't and that, I was go, what? I mean, I wasn't, an, I wasn't a member <laughs> in, I, this is because, look, Cablevision, Optimus, whatever it was, to you know, that was the only thing available on Long Island. That was your cable provider if you lived on Long Island. I grew up on Long Island. Granted, oh, yeah. by two thousand nine to eleven, with that, I was living in the city, but that was never an option for me when I when I owned it back in the day. Yeah, you were probably a Time Warner guy at that point because that's mostly or that's mostly what was in the city. But yeah, they had this thing where you got four tickets to go to a bow tie as long as you went to a bow tie cinema. So I was like. 2011 2012 2013 it's like i got to, and even if you wanted to see it in 3d you'd only have to pay like 3d surcharge i was seeing avengers cabin in the woods dark shadows wreck it ralph uh rango sucker punch uh it, it, not everything was good but it's like it, it's it's the, the movie pass argument oh I, it, i'm already paying for this service and i'm getting this yeah. technically for free so i'm gonna see whatever i can goddamn get my hands on what time is it? Good. I'm going to see Cabin in the Woods. It's also funny, though, thinking about it now, because, again, not, not trying to, like, always go back to the same kind of feeling and thought, but what does Madonna mean to the younger generation today, if anything? I don't know. She's still very much a, a musical icon, uh, especially with the LGD, LGBTQ community, because she's just always been an ally, and that's sort of the phase that she's in now. But I get what you're scratching at, Matthew, because she really hasn't done much acting. She really doesn't do that much directing anymore. Like she's kind of shifted back to music. But then you look at when this movie came out and it was still, she's a white hot star. She's dating Warren Beatty at this point. Uh, Beatty? I don't even remember this. She dated Warren Beatty. Yeah, I, I think it was around this point because Truth or Dare came out not too long oh, after oh this. And God. she did there and... Yeah, from what I heard, he was just not good to her. But then again, he apparently wasn't good to Sean Young, who he originally cast as Tess Trueheart. 
And, you know, that's two for two for her getting kicked out of a, a 90s classic because, you know, she got kicked out of Batman Returns. Yep. But that also leads me to another point. We did not appreciate Glenn Headley enough. Love her. In her lifetime because films like Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, which I also want to cover. Yep. And then this, like the way she plays Tess Trueheart, that is a character that is so written to be just white bread American. Oh, I am your, your, your good girlfriend and I understand you. There is so much more nuance to that. And then she just delivers it with the earnest charm and breathiness, but at the same time, like you feel the weight of it when she leaves him at one point and is like, I can't do this anymore. Even, even before that, just, you know, when they're at the, the, the uh, diner, uh, and she gets stuck with she gets stuck with kid, you know. Yeah. Just like listening, just listening to her talk, you're like, yeah, yeah, she knows what's going on. Well, and I'm sorry, I didn't want to go back to the the Marvel thing, but I also no. thought because you asked me what I thought about, like, because I was just thinking about it, and I also I feel like I grew up uh, again. I'm not trying to make I, I feel bad because I feel like every time I say, oh, I grew up in this era, it makes people feel old. Andrew. Well, no, I feel bad because I keep going, Andrew, tell us because you're younger than us. <laughs> <laughs> Look, gentlemen, we are all friends here. We are, uh, two, at least two of us are drinking right now. We should be comporting ourselves very freely and don't be sorry about anything because it is overdue rentals. The concept of this show is what if a rental store not only existed, but people hung out at the counter to talk about movies. That's what we're doing. Movies that people don't talk about. Then, well, yeah, movies <laughs> that people just don't talk about that much. So yeah, so what was the question? About so, us old, about us old farts. <laughs> when you phrase it that way um but i guess because i grew up in the i guess i kind of grew up in the mcu era i mean i wasn't like you know how old was i six or seven when iron man came out um i actually didn't know the mcu was a thing until after the first avengers came i think it was a little after that i didn't realize these were all connected and and i, I think it's because i just my dad would take me to see like he didn't like hulk so he'd i'd see iron man captain america skip thor you know it's just whoever he knew so i think that's why i didn't really put this together and he didn't care about the avengers anyways <laughs> i wonder if that changes because i know dick tracy's a comic strip but it's still you know I, can you call that a i don't want to call it a comic book movie what would you call it a comic well i mean it did, it did grow there were comic books made out of oh, dick okay. tracy material um and you could, or, or there could be giveaways that were in you know like your mcdonald's happy meal that was a dick tracy comic kind of thing but yeah, I mean, it, it birthed as a, as, a, as a comic strip. It had radio uh, shows um, based on it. Um, so it was like, it, not even for me, more for my father and, and, and people of, the generation, uh, of, of generations before me, it was a big thing. Dick Tracy was a big thing, especially with the whole radio watch. Uh, you know, that was that was like, new age brilliance to a lot of people <laughs> i would still buy one of those two-way radio watches i don't care if the apple watch exists <laughs> also, i remember watch. when they first when the when the watch first hit that's what they did they tried to it was like now you have dick tracy for real life i remember they tried to do they tried to do that as an ad campaign right yeah uh, pretty sure that was a big thing that was a big part of dick tracy was that watch i know they oh, show yeah. it in the film but if you didn't know that was a huge part of dick tracy Oh yeah, right along with the his his famous costume, like the yellow yeah. trench coat over the suit and the yellow fedora, and then the two way radio. And that Pierce George just knocked him off. I don't know what that was going on. <laughs> yeah, well, let's just say when World War II rolled around, the man with the hat had to do some things that his government asked him to, and he never willingly accepted. 
but that you know andrew bringing up your your age into the all of us bringing our ages up into the equation i think that's a really interesting cross-section for us to be examining this film with because you know all of us live currently living in the mcu era but then looking back at a movie like this where comic movies were sort of fits and starts still at this point like you would get the superman movies but then superman 4 kind of tamped it down for a little while and then Look, the batman I, movies i don't want to and i want to interrupt you mike but I, I will say very quickly i know superman 4 is a bad movie but it came out when i was very young so i have a lot of connection with it that's all i'm going to say i apologize keep going and all i'm going to say is while i understand the faults of superman 3 and 4 i can't totally write off any of the christopher reeve superman movies because they have elements in them that i enjoy yes so yes. Yeah, I completely, I, I understand with you, even to, the, even to the point of Batman and Robin, which, oh, if you ever want to read a story about a studio really wrecking a film, giving it a bigger budget, but a shorter turnaround time and a lot of notes. <sighs> and again, the, the curse of the McDonald's tie-ins, I guess. But <laughs> still, that was another thing where it's like, Batman kept things going and then it got tamped down a little bit after Batman and Robin. We really... We only really started to see a sustained comic book presence after Iron Man, and that even owes itself to the fact that X Men and Spider Man like reinvented that and yeah. sort of kickstarted Marvel's contribution to that sort of thing, and then kind of got tamped down when it got to like X Three or Spider Man Three. But even then, there were still other sort of things like Ghost Rider that were coming. The first Ghost Rider was sort of hit with people and then it was enough and then blade was still pretty good at that time well blade was good yeah the first blade oh yeah the first two blades i had the blade, blade two is my favorite you shut the fuck up right now well this here's another question then for you andrew because because that's exactly the point too you know like when things started to build up with the iron mans whether it was x-men and uh, spider-man that started it you know it, it it did seem to break itself out of course and we're much seeing it now of the real comic book sensibility which the original Batman's and Dick Tracy, even as a kind of, you know, kind of kind of lived by, where it was kind of not corny, but it had that that um, that pulpy, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of campy nature campy. about it. Mm. So, Andrew, do, have you seen all of like not not talking about necessarily Tim Burton Batman's, but the ones that come after? So the Batman Forever and the Batman Ramen. Did you did yeah. you see those? Yeah. Yeah. Where would you consider the style and the feeling and atmosphere of those similar to Dick Tracy or completely different? No, I would say very similar. I was thinking that when I was watching the movie was that it felt a lot like the Burton Batmans, you know. Oh, I'm sorry. Mike wants to. No, 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 no. I'm complimenting the point and I'm complimenting the answer because that is that I never thought of that connection. That's really good. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I, that is something that I thought of. I'll let you continue. Well, no, I mean, look, I want both of you to go because the only reason I bring it up is because I feel that, yes, of course, the Dick Tracy still has that feeling, but I don't know if I, maybe I mentioned it earlier. I feel like not only did Dick Tracy get it right, but it doesn't feel silly in Dick Tracy where it feels silly in something like Batman Forever and yes. Batman and Robin. Batman and Robin, it feels sillier, I would think, but Batman Forever, I still give credit because it still does have a dark, sinister edge while also including the colors and sure. the camp of Schumacher, of, uh, of the original, of Schumacher and the original Batman. And you want to talk about another 
alternate cut that's apparently sitting out there there is like i I thought i heard like at least half an hour cut from that movie and more darker introspective stuff that i would for one really want to see because i really liked batman forever that was actually my first cinematic batman well actually that's one of my favorite ones as a kid especially i grew up loving those and i mean not just because of the u2 song but i remember being in poughkeepsie what my oh. <laughs> it's a good u2 song that one u2 of the... song is beautiful that Thank is you. one of the all right that had one of the best soundtracks bar none yes no and questions I... your honor this is a weird memory I have attached to Batman Forever, but I remember being up in Poughkeepsie where my aunt has a, a house and we, you know, my mom likes going yard sailing. So one of these, it was like a July 4th weekend and, it, you know, it was a Saturday morning, I think. And we were going and I got this costume from what, what when did Batman Forever come out? Was that 88? 95. Oh, wow. Sorry. Oh yeah. Cause 89, 89 was, was the first Batman. Batman. Yeah. yeah. It's my fault. 95. But I had the <laughs> point being, I had the costume from Batman Forever and I was so proud of it. It was the coolest. That was my favorite bat, uh, uh, Kilmer's right. Kilmer's. Val Kilmer, man. I love that. Batman. I thought that Kilmer was a good choice, honestly. I know it didn't work out, but I think it was a good choice. Such a good Batman. I loved. I love that movie. I gotta watch it again. <laughs> you know, yeah. we've come to the point though in the show where I now have to go back and forgot that I didn't mention Charles Durning on the list of actors in this movie. I, I, I'm a Charles Durning fanatic. I love that man. Oh, first time I ever saw that man. Yes, just guess. Oh, oh, I have to guess. The first time you ever saw him. Yes. Uh, was he older or younger? Older, not too older, but Hudsucker uh, Proxy, Muppet Movie, Muppet Movie. Okay, no, so that's uh, to me, that's a little more to the younger side. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's. I know fair. it's not super young. It's not like talking about the Sting or something, but yeah. Uh, uh, also fantastic in the Hudsucker Proxy. I should have said not- I should have said Dog Day Afternoon is my guess, but I just I just <laughs> kept thinking Hudsucker Proxy. I don't know. But yeah, anyway. sorry. And then a rare heel turn for Dick Van Dyke. Which that is something that I always love. I will. I still. You tell. I know it's him, and it sounds like him. But even the makeup job on him, just to make he basically, they just made him look like somebody else. It wasn't. They didn't need to do it. I couldn't. I couldn't tell it's him. I don't think that was a makeup job so much as it was just you know he had the facial hair and he's just really like the high quaff sort of public official that's asp- aspiring to greater things. And yeah. Just it, it. It's it's not the same sort of you know, lovable chimney sweep, lovable husband Dick Van Dyke you're used to. This is a mover and a shaker who's like telling Dick Tracy, look, stop blowing up our spot here. You gotta gotta stop. But again, that just speaks to the backbench of talent that this movie has. But that's- It's like, it's a mad, 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 mad world level brilliance where it is just this slew of people. And even if you're in it for five seconds or most of the damn movie, everybody's just there to kill everyone's there to play. paul sorvino is not mentioned yeah, Paul Sor- yes. that's yeah. that's the thing and that's the thing i don't mean to keep bringing it sorry i had a hiccup guys you don't mean to keep bringing up gas i got it i know i don't mean to keep bringing it back to this but people today who are going to see this movie are not going to necessarily not even know who half these people are they're not going to care who half these people are and yes it's for the time being it's a massive thing but as time goes on, I wonder how much of it just like people like, oh, yeah, so I had all these people. I don't care. You know, it means nothing to me now. Well, it happens with a lot of contemporarily made movies that yeah. dig into a cast like that. Like, you know, you're going into something like Dick Tracy. You wanted to make money. You got a lot of confidence in it. You're hiring like all this wide net of like old hands and young bucks. And you've just got everyone in there to kill. And they succeed. And it's like, 
it's sad that most people probably don't know who Glenn Headley is. And that, that's probably the saddest thing of all. But, you know, most people will still know Madonna. Some may know Warren Beatty, but the movie itself still kills because of everyone's efforts. And hopefully it inspires people to dig more into these people's filmographies. And, the, but, and, that's, and that's the kicker too. It's like, there are plenty of young people who know who Mandy Patinkin is. Either it's because of the TV shows he's on or because they just love Princess Bride, but they yeah. will not be able to pick his face out for the life of them when he's in something like this where it's his actual face. I love him as 88 Keys. I could have stood for at least one more musical moment between him and Madonna because, again, Madonna and Mandy Patinkin singing at a piano with a Stephen Sondheim song. Okay. I don't That's all I need to say. I don't mean to change the subject at all, and I apologize if I'm talking over anybody at this point. But I want, since we're talking about Mandy Patinkin, I want to talk about the greatest Mandy Patinkin cameo in the history of the, history of the world. And I have a feeling that neither of you have seen it. Because you're both aware of Mr. Show? Yes. Okay. I see, so Andrew, Mr. Show was a sketch comedy show in the mid to late 90s starring Bob Odenkirk and David Cross. Um, yeah. That's one a of the see, funniest that's a, things. Tracy effect where it's like, one of the, oh, wait, I know these guys, but I don't know this. One of the funniest things that's ever existed on, on, the, on the face of the earth, you have HBO Max, it's on there to watch. Um, and they had a character named Ronnie Dobbs. And the idea of Ronnie Dobbs is Ronnie Dobbs is supposed to be like trailer trash. And he ended up being the person arrested the most times on these cops reality TV shows. So a Hollywood producer tries to make a whole show based on Ronnie Dobbs getting arrested all over the world. So when Mr. Show ended, they made a movie called Run, Ronnie, Run. Ronnie, Run! Now, in Mr. Show, I, I'm sorry for going on about this, but it's too good not to talk about it. We're in probably going to have to do an episode about this movie. In Mr. Show, they have a sketch that is dedicated to the idea that Terry Twilsey, who's the producer, wants to make a fuzz, is the name of the cop show, fuzz the musical. And so he gets Ronnie Dobbs and cops and all these people into like singing these songs. And the idea is that it's, you know, this trailer trash guy shitting all over everybody. And then it comes time to his song and he's like, hey, uh, what are you doing? No, that's my beer. I thought that my kingdom was my, and he sings this beautiful song, right? So in Run, Ronnie, Run, they're making a movie and they have Mandy Patankin playing Ronnie Dobbs and he's sitting naked in a straw hat on a bucket singing that song it's the greatest thing in the we're existence. doing an episode on this fucking movie <laughs> but when we get david cross and bob odenkirk on yeah absolutely oh oh that would be lovely so oh. yeah so i'm sorry offshoot onto the mandy Patankin and run ronnie run uh cameo there back to business as as, as usual Oh, and can I just say about the <laughs> the more mature, you know, I think we talked about this earlier, the mature tone. I did love that, you know, because there's that gangster, you know, uh, yeah, what's the side plot? I don't know, the you know, over theme of that. And I thought that's so interesting because I think it's the most, I don't want to say watered down, like gangster, mm. you know, but, but like, you know, it is still family appropriate as we've talked about, but I don't think I've seen that before, unless I'm missing something. I feel like. Well, well I'll tell you this much: it's not Bugsy Malone where all the guns are pie cannons. <laughs> Look, you can't you can't match the old Warren Beatty stuff. A, a... <laughs> that was pure fucking chaos, Matthew. You first. Oh no! So you can't you can't compare it to all Warren Beatty films. <laughs> Talk about Bugs. That's why I was just like, sorry, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> no, I was saying, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's again. You've got Tommy guns going off left and right. People are actually dying and getting cemented, and again. You put this under the Disney banner, a lot of that probably gets softened and you see it in, in silhouette or something. But Touchstone, 
go right ahead. As long as you're not going to like Billy Bathgate levels or Bugsy levels, it's like you're fine. Oh yeah, that just that brilliant Dustin Hoffman uh, uh, performances and mumbles where it's just remote for ninety percent of it was like, and then the last moment is like, oh no, no, and he just speaks so clearly and just lays it all out. <laughs> um, but all right, I have to go back because we're gonna have to wrap up soon. But I, I, I realize because again, you, I know Andrew that the reason you sought this out was originally because of Pacino and because you're a big Pacino fan. Where do you rank it in 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 your Pacino uh, isms of mm. uh, performances? I guess. Well, that's a hard question because I, I I think performance versus like my favorite, like his best performances, I think are a little different because I feel like his best comes in like the seventies. You know, The Godfather. Uh, Dog Day Afternoon, Serpico. But my favorite performance, if I'm going to watch any, are like Heat, you know, and Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. You know, I love the oh, over the top. Even the Irishman yeah. for more, I think that's a nice, similar, you know, combination. But what Hold are you going to say about that? Hold on. Because <laughs> cause you, cause you guys are talking about because you guys are talking about the Pacino impressions earlier. Both my brother and I, for the longest time, used to both do the, uh, the Pacino, uh, Jonathan Price exchange from that movie and i want to see if i can still do it hold on it's like oh yes because yeah, i think you're wait i i we, did did we get a did we get a pacino from you andrew because if not we're gonna have to get from all right we'll, we'll, we'll all go yeah i want to hear matt well yeah. this is this is now both jonathan price and pacino and i haven't done this in a long time Ooh, so hopefully it's still fucking hopefully, hopefully it's still hopefully it still hits all right hold on you said we had three days you said we had three days three business days three business days no, no, my wife. Is, that's it. Still <laughs> uh, wonder, entertaining. Bravo, sir. Really good. That's really good. I, I don't well, think he's I can... price for no charge. Yeah. <laughs> Business. Hey, what was well, the other? Was the other one? It's like, what are you doing? You and I can't do it right now. <laughs> I would love us to talk about that movie if, if, oh. if just for the fact that they just write Alec Baldwin this monologue that kills for the film version and then that becomes the legacy of this movie. Yeah, something that didn't and, exist in the play. No, and just, you know, <laughs> say what you want about either Alec Baldwin or David Mamet for being problematic as they are, the material still stands. <laughs> All right, Andrew, your time to shine. Yes, oh, Andrew, gosh. okay. What, what, what selections are you bringing us, Andrew, from, <sighs> from the canon of Mr. Al Pacino? All right. Well, I'll, I'll start off basic because I think I got to ease into this. So I know, you know, House of Gucci last year. Did both of you guys see House of Gucci? I still haven't seen it. Yeah. I haven't seen oh. it yet, but I have seen him in the in the trailers. Okay, so you guys probably haven't seen the scene yet. So do you guys mind if I ruin? It's 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 a no. quick thing. Okay. All right. So I think one of Pacino's first scenes, he's talking in Japanese in the film, and because he claims that the Japanese, you know, they're rich, they'll buy money, or they'll buy stuff at the Gucci store. So he greets this family of Chinese people with Konichiwa, and I said. I lost it. My friends and I, oh and look, if it was anybody but Pacino, I might be slightly offended. I'm not Japanese, but <laughs> yeah. I might be slightly offended. But it's Pacino. You can't help it. But um, but I will say, he, I do love the, I always, I think if you, you know, you guys will follow me on Twitter. I Anytime I get the chance, I always uh, tweet the gif of, you know, she's got a great ass. <laughs> I can't do it as well as I used to. She's got a great ass. <laughs> and you got your head all up in it. All the way up it. <laughs> so, I don't have as good as Matt, but or even you, Mike. <laughs> it doesn't matter. What matters is you brought a Pacino to the table. This is and now the matters, Pacino oh. Roundtable podcast. <laughs> and what also matters is that everybody now go 
and cross off Dick Tracy off your overdue rentals list if you haven't seen it already. Come back, give us all your thoughts if you need to. Andrew, where can people find you if they need to find you? Because they need to find you. Oh, well, at Andrew Corpin uh, and at Andrew Corpin one on Twitter. Mike, where can people find us? Well, that's a very good question to be asking because if you're not looking for Andrew Corpin, you're looking for us. And if all you see is overdue rentals, overdue rentals, overdue rentals, then you can talk on Instagram at Overdue Rental Show, on Twitter at Rentals Overdue, on Facebook at Overdue Rentals. And if you want to send us emails of love letters, suggestions for new films, notes that are in Dick Tracy's handwriting that will implicate D.A. Fletcher in a scandal for to end all scandals, you can email us at overdurentals at gmail.com. But since you're on the internet and you're probably looking up other Al Pacino impressions, uh, I would suggest Frank Caliendo because Frank Caliendo is an impressionist that to my heart is one of the best. Um, you're going to want to find our show as well because if you like this episode, you're probably going to like all of our other episodes. Trust me. Trust us. Overdue Rentals is here for you. And we are found wherever you ethically source your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Stitcher, Spreaker. Um, I'm sure there is a ham radio operator that broadcasts our stuff to people that don't use the Audible. Internet. If there is, oh, Audible. Cannot forget Audible because no, no, not sponsored, but I just bought their Alien 3 dramatization and I cannot wait to read it. It is what? the... Un- it is an unmade draft of Alien 3. It is one of the earlier drafts where Michael Bean is still in it. And they got Michael Bean and Lance Hendrickson to be part of the voice cast. Wow. Yeah. And while you're on the internet, finding our show on all these wonderful podcast platforms, there is usually a feature where you can rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And we would very much be glad that you do that because not only do we want you to hear us, we want you to hear people like Andrew who deem us worthy of coming in and just having fun with us. Just as much as, we're, just as, much as we have fun talking with each other, we like bringing people like Andrew in, good friends that just have friendly conversations because you know scientific studies have shown that that is probably the best way to run a podcast instead of just letting a bot do it. So rate, review, subscribe, keep the overdue rentals counter open so we can keep renting you the best overdue rentals that you could possibly find and keep bringing in wonderful people to chat with. I have probably gone on for longer than I should. So Matthew. Bye-bye. If you enjoy listening to Overdue Rentals, make sure to support us by going to anchor.fm slash overdue rentals slash support to donate and keep us going to make better episodes for the future.